0: Last week, uh, we talked about uh, Mary and having a faith that is rooted in God's grace. You know, the angel said, Mary, you are favored by God and been rooted in truth. What the angel told her to do, he rooted it in the past, the present, and the future. And man, I'll be honest, like, I want to be, I want part of my faith to be like Mary. Like, don't you think, like, you see Mary at Christmas and she's so serene and you're like, man, I wish my heart, like, I want my heart to be like that, you know? And I think about Joseph, and he's so humble, and he's got courage, and he's steady and obedient. I'm like, man, I want to be like Joseph. I want a heart like Joseph, courageous and steady and willing to carry your pregnant wife all the way down to the other end of the country, like, with a good attitude, we assume. And, uh, or we want to, like, part of me wants to be like the shepherds, you know? The shepherds, they seem so humble, and yet here comes the angel announcing the the news of the kingdom to them. And uh, here are these sort of invisible people, and they become the first recipients of the good news that God has become a man. And then they also become the first sort of evangelists. The, like They go out and they tell everybody that the Son of God has been born. And Part of me wants to be like the wise men, like those really cool out- outfits, like you're a professor at Hogwarts, and like they have these nice gifts, and they come from afar, and they seem so regal and so uh, elegant or whatever. But honestly, at Christmas, one trip to the Burlington Mall will show that I am none of those characters. I end up being like a different character uh, in the story. And here's, my, here's our typical trip to the Burlington Mall. Have any of you gone up to that one or North Shore or any of those this uh, Christmas? Yep. So here's how it goes. You have to make the decision when you're merging from 93 onto 95, and then also when you're getting off the highway at the mall. You have to make the decision which way you want to be a jerk. Do you want to be the jerk who goes all the way down and cuts someone off at the last moment? How many of you, that's you? You're the one who goes down and cuts off. Yeah, okay, honest, good. Or you can be the one who gets in the proper lane at the right time and then just curses everybody under your breath when they're cutting you off. Which of, yeah? okay, two hands for Lane, man. That was like, Lane almost went like Southern Hallelujah Pentecostal there on that one. Okay, so she's that one. So now you're, you're getting frustrated because you're either getting cut off or you're having to cut someone off. And then you get into the mall and in the parking lot, and now you got to find a space. And I think it was easier for the wise men to go from modern-day Iraq to modern-day Israel and find the baby Jesus than it can be to find a space in that mall at Christmas at times. And so when you get that done, then you've got to go, because we're originally from the South, we have to eat at Chick-fil-A. It's Christian chicken, and it is a requirement if you go to the Burlington Mall to go to Chick-fil-A. And so you got to deal with that line. All the other restaurants have three people in them. Chick-fil-A will have a line 30 people deep, and they've got this maze that you have to walk through, and you get your chicken. Then you've got to find a space. It was easier for uh, Mary and Joseph to find the manger that night than it is to find a seat uh, in that Burlington Mall on a Saturday, and now my frustration level is here, like I'm here. I'm definitely not serene, courageous, peaceful, humble, any of that. Then we get done eating, and now we've got to go buy gifts, and Natalie will say, says to me, hey, our niece, we got to buy a present for her high school boyfriend for Christmas. I'm like... <laughs> Why am I buying a present for that kid? Like I don't I don't know him. I'm pretty sure I'm not gonna like him. And now I'm buying him a gift. Why is he at our family Christmas? They've been they're in high school. They dated like less than a year and We're going to spend $20 on this kid? Like, what are we doing? So now I'm getting more frustrated. And my boys are running around. We want to go to the Lego store. We want to go to the Microsoft store. We want to go here. We want to do this. And then they'll say, Dad, I need, I want, I want, I want. And I want to show them those sad commercials that Sarah McLaughlin's singing on of, like, African children, like, starting to be like, now, tell me you need some Legos. Like, you got clothes on, don't you? You're doing just fine. Like, but I'm frustrated. And then... In a twist of irony, you'll be walking through and hearing all the George Michael Christmas song, Paul McCartney Christmas song, but you'll, like, this has gotten me, God bazinga in me. It's, uh, you'll hear, like, Frank Sinatra singing Silent Night. And it's like, oh, man, my heart is a long way from Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. And how fast my heart gets away from everything about Jesus and turns in on all the things that are frustrating me. So, if I can relate to any story, if I'm honest on some level, I relate to King Herod in this story. I can relate to King Herod. And I want us to talk about him today, if we can, um, because I wish I weren't like King Herod. And I wish you weren't like King Herod. As much as we want to be like Mary or Joe or the wise men or the shepherd... We have a heart problem and we end up being like King Herod. And I never will forget um, last year, Renee started reading the Bible really for the first time, like really reading it. And I remember him telling me, he was like, it it was in the fall, it was probably around October. He goes, Man, that Herod guy, what a jerk. He took a hit out on baby Jesus. Like, and that was the exact quote. And I'll never forget that as long as I like. He took a hit out on baby Jesus. And there is something in our hearts, all of us that wants to take a hit out on baby Jesus, and we got to own it because denying it and trying to cover it up only makes the problem worse. So let me read Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and then uh, 16 through 18. I'll tell you when we're going to skip around, and then we'll come back. It'll be a lot of fun. Here we go. Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, came from the east, ...to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. It didn't just upset Herod. Herod was so upset, it upsets literally the entire city... ...that these guys are here with with their entourage to find this king of the Jews. And so it says in verse 4, And so assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people he inquired of them where the christ was to be born and they told him in bethlehem of judea for so it is written by the prophet and you o bethlehem in the land of judah are by no means least among the rulers of judah for from you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd who will shepherd my people israel verse 7 then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time that star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. Now after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, which is kind of weird because I always thought the wise men were there the night Jesus was born. um, But they probably weren't because Mary's in a house and our nativity sets aren't dollhouses like they're little stables. And so this has happened sometime. They finally get there sometime after uh, Jesus has been born. And they find the family there in the house and they saw the child. It says in verse 11 with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of uh, uh, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Skip down to verse 16 if we can. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So it's about two years later, ballpark, they see this star, they decide they're going to go out on this trip, and they get to Jerusalem, they make their way down to Bethlehem, and it seems like because of the, the route that they would have had to have traveled, it's about two years, somewhere in that ballpark, um, that it's been since this baby has been born. So uh, all the children, who were, all the region who were two years older, uh, under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children; she refused to be comforted because they're no more. It's genocide, genocide—to wipe. I mean, like, and I read that, and I'm like, oh man, this dude's sick. What a crazy guy! And we'll talk about how crazy he is um, in just a moment. He is. Crazy! This is one of the craziest rulers ever, and yet there is something in us, unfortunately, that can be a lot like this. So let me tell you a little bit about Herod, um, just a couple things. I'm going to tell you three things about Herod, but I want to kind of parallel it over to where we are and who we are. So Matthew is writing this gospel. If you read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have four different, they're written to kind of four different audiences. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar, Uh, Mark was probably written first, and then Matthew and Luke use parts of Mark's gospel, but they write it for different audiences, and so they're very different. So Matthew's gospel is written primarily to a very Jewish audience to show that Jesus is the king of the Jews, the promised Uh, Messiah, which is a little different than Luke's gospel, for example, which is where we get the other traditional Christmas story, which is written to more of a non-Jewish audience. And so it shows how Jesus is for the poor and the marginalized and sort of religious outsiders. And so Matthew, writing to Jewish people, uh, a very Jewish gospel, writes, and he calls Herod the king. He actually does it very intentionally twice. He says, now in the time of Herod the king, and Herod the king does this, and then he says very intentionally that the wise men are, have come looking for the one who's been born, the king of the Jews. So you've got two kings in this story. You've got one king, Herod, who's the king of the region. And here's, uh, he's actually a steward king of Israel. He's the king of the region. He's ruling that area of the Roman Empire um, and here's how he did it. In 37, he, he had aligned himself politically with Mark Antony, not the Latin pop singer, but like the other one who was with Cleopatra. He aligned himself with Mark Antony. And then in 37 BC, uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra are sort of overthrown by the man who becomes Caesar Augustus. And he then switches his loyalty. He changes teams and becomes loyal to um, Caesar. And then at that point, he becomes the king of that region of the Middle East, where you see in the Mediterranean, you've got Europe here, Africa here, Asia here. He becomes the king of this entire region, but he's not the king of Israel for a very specific reason. In fact, he's a steward king. Now, last week we talked about that word betrothed and how the only other time I've heard of betrothed is in the Lion King. The only other time I've heard of the phrase steward king is in Lord of the Rings. And Lord of the Rings, uh, sorry for all you non-sci-fi nerds or fantasy nerds, let me just tell you about it real quick. There's a king in Lord of the Rings who's ruling an area, but he's not the true king because the true king has been prophesied, and this guy can't be him. He just can't. So he's what's called a steward king. He's sitting in the place of that king until the real king comes, and that is what Herod is over the Jewish people in the land of Palestine. He cannot be the king because the king has to come from the line of David. The king of Israel, the true king, the reigning king, the one who would reign forever, had to be a descendant of David. And Herod is not a descendant of David. Herod is an Idumean. He's from the people of Edom. So if you can imagine modern Israel right here, and you've got the Mediterranean Sea here, just to the southeast is the land uh, that was then called Edomia or Edom. And uh, and they're similar. They're close relatives. In fact, if you know the Old Testament story of Jacob and Esau, Israel is the descendants of Jacob. And Esau's people become the Edomites. And uh, so they're very similar racially and who they are, family tree. They split off, and but they become very different in their culture and they become different very different in their religious beliefs, very different. And Herod is ruling over God's people as a person who cannot be the king. In fact, he's the steward king. He comes to consolidate his power through switching teams and sort of manipulating. Uh, By the way, my son does that. He is a front runner. His teams are undefeated. Noah has never had a team lose. Um, he's wearing a Yankee shirt today. It kills me. It's mostly just to say, I don't, he's a free thinker. And that's his way of letting me know that he doesn't have to think like anybody in this neighborhood city or in our house. And uh, he also has asked for a warrior's jersey for Christmas. It kills me. If one of his grandmas wants to buy them that, that's great. We will not be buying that nonsense in our house. Uh, he's a front runner. He's a front runner, just like you and my son. Um, and so that's Herod. like. He figures out how he can consolidate his power and be at the top, and he does it. And um, and he's not good. He can never rightfully claim to be the Jewish king. He's slick, he's selfish, he's paranoid, and he's vicious. He actually had ten wives. He had two of them, uh, excuse me, he had one of them killed because he thought she was out to get him. And then he had 15 children. He had two of them killed. He had two of his sons killed because he thought that they were going to uh, get him. And then when he, when he died, he arranged it in his will so that when he died, a bunch of the Jewish elders would be killed uh, because he said, literally the man said, when I die, I want people to be crying during my funeral, even if they're not crying over my funeral. So him wiping out all these little baby boys in Bethlehem, is so typical of him that it's not even in the history books. Herod is in the history books, not just in the Bible. In other histories, that tells the story of Herod. Archaeology has sort of proven his existence. But this sort of genocide in Bethlehem, wiping out about 20 kids, doesn't even show up in the history books because it was so common to who this evil, slick, paranoid, vicious man was. So that's the second thing. He, he's the steward king of the people. The second thing is he's a man of, at best, mixed motives. Really, his motives aren't even that mixed. I mean, this is a bad, bad dude. He's troubled, and all the city becomes troubled with him when he hears the news, and he begins to operate covertly. You notice this. He pulls the wise men to the side, sort of, hey, guys, let's go talk in that back room, and he's trying to figure everything out and what's going on, and even these, these guys, these wise men are probably from Iraq, and they come over uh, the Middle East and come down into Israel, and they pick up immediately that this guy's a dirtbag. And so Herod says, "Hey, come back, come back, and let me worship this baby. I want you to go find him, and I'll come worship him." And they know he is lying through uh, his teeth, and he's a liar, and they don't want anything to do with him, as we'll see in just a moment. The Bible says, in um, let's see, it says in verse four. Uh, that he becomes furious, or excuse me, in 3 it says he's troubled, and it goes on in 16, he's furious, he lashes out. When his kingdom gets threatened, he loses his mind, he goes ballistic, because he realizes he got played by these Iraqi sort of wise men in their great hats and presents. And, um, and they find Jesus in a house, and they do this, and, but the whole thing is he is um, out of control emotionally, And the wise men know it, and they want to steer clear of him. And the third thing about here, and I think this is the most important thing, is he can't stop God's plan. God is a plan that is talked about from the first pages of the Bible uh, all the way to the last pages of the Bible. And so in verse 13, let me read you these couple of verses. to to sort of tie up how the story goes it says now when the wise men departed behold an angel of the lord appeared to joseph in a dream and said rise and take the child and his mother and flee to egypt and remain there until i tell you for herod's about to search for this child and destroy him and he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to egypt and remained there until the death of herod this was to fulfill what the lord had spoken by the prophet out of egypt i called my son and it goes on in 19 says when herod died behold an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life were dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. And he ends up settling in the northern part of Israel just to keep cover. So Jesus is raised a refugee, by the way, in this time of refugees and immigrants. He's raised as a refugee and an immigrant in Egypt from a lot of his childhood. Pretty fascinating uh, in the kind of political climate that we live in. Uh, Herod, however, ends up dying uh, when Jesus is still pretty little. In about 4 BC, he dies. And uh, he dies of stomach cancer, essentially. Uh, Historian Josephus, who was not a Christian, he was a Jewish historian, says basically that his guts were exploding within himself. He was in such a bad way. And uh, he ends up dying a miserable uh, death. And it's only been recently that archaeologists have sort of found proof that he even lived but God had a plan so the amazing thing is that the steward king ends up being forgotten and dying early and God has this plan that's prophesied by Isaiah in 700 BC and begins to become real in the life of Jesus and then Herod can't stop it despite his power he dies becomes a sad footnote in history um, as the king who is the king when the real king was born like, he's the lowercase K king when the capital uh, uppercase K king is born. He's the king who died while trying to kill the king of life itself. So how are we like Herod? Now, Herod becomes the depressing part, all right? This will be the potentially the most depressing sermon you're ever going to hear at Christmas. So we're doing it today and not next week. Um, like Herod, at, but there's so much truth in this. Like Herod, we are at best only steward kings of our lives. I'm not the king of my life. Life is set up to try to make you and I feel like we are the kings of our lives. But at best, we are only the steward kings of our life. Every life has one throne, and only one person can sit on it at a time. Every life has one throne, and only one person can sit on it at a time. Either God sits on it, or I sit on it. Either God sits on it, or you sit on it. And... um, or something else that I put up there. So either God's going to sit on the throne of my heart and my life, or I'm going to put me, or money, or security, or something on that throne. And so we do everything that we can to give ourselves a sense that we are reigning, but at best we're steward kings. So I uh, am in this phase right now because I'm Realizing that I'm probably on the back nine of life and so I'm trying to run more and eat better and take care of my wear my seatbelt and do all those things. So I can somehow think that I am in control of the number of days that I have. That's a steward king idea that I'm gonna control my life. And we should take care of ourselves, but ultimately God knows how long we're gonna live. We can save or spend and invest or live it up to tell ourselves that we're in control of our money. We can take lavish vacations that we can't afford, reject God in the name of making memories and putting family first and spoiling our kids or parents or spouses or whoever to tell ourselves that we can control our family's image and even our children's love. Um, There is a part of me that... Like, doesn't want to buy anyone a present at Christmas except my wife and my children. And I could go buck wild spending, like, just buy them everything. And I don't think, like, I, I'm sure deep down somewhere, some if I laid on a couch of a psychiatrist, he would say that there's this unhealthy need to for, want my children to love me, so I would do that or something. I don't think it's that. But maybe it's this idea that, boy, if we create these memories and then we capture them on Instagram or Facebook, then everybody will think we're a perfect family, and my kids will think that they have perfect parents, which is a clear lie, and they would show just how goofy they are if they thought that for a second. But it can become all about creating this image, trying to seat our image and our love on this throne that God belongs on. We can work 80 hours a week and climb the corporate ladder to tell ourselves that if we succeed professionally, we're a success, never realizing we may be climbing the wrong ladder and wonder why we feel so unfulfilled. We can jump through religious hoop after religious hoop um, and uh, in an effort to think, okay, now God's going to be happy with me. The other night the boy Noah was playing uh, flag football and at the end a kid made fun of another kid. And the guy who was leading the flag football, the adult in the situation, said, all right, boys, come here, come here. And he circles them all up. And he says to them, it was the worst life advice I've ever heard. And he meant well. He really did. It was terrible advice. And he goes, guys, we never make fun of each other. I'm like, great, that's good advice. We never make fun of one another. And then he goes, we don't make fun of one another. We encourage one another because it makes us feel good about ourselves. And if we feel good about ourselves, then we're good people. And if we're good people, we have a good life. And I'm like you just gave them the worst theology I've ever heard. Like, first of all, these are not good people. That's why they're making fun of each other. And they're 9, 10, 11, 12. They're sweet kids. They have cute moments, but they're not good. Like you, Lisa teaches here. She knows they are sweet children and they get it right sometimes, but they, none of us is inherently good. We're all inherently broken and need God and we can be as good as we want and still feel very unfulfilled. Some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life are people who sit on the back row of churches and don't know God at all, but they go week after week after week after week after week, and they're miserable, and they're miserable. That's why we don't have a bunch of rows here, so that even if you're on the fourth row, like, I can still see you back there in the corner. It's wonderful. Um, Ultimately, Jesus will reign because ultimately only Jesus is the true king. Like ultimately, not Herod, but Jesus reigns. At best, we're steward kings. Deep down, our hearts know we aren't the king. And that's why when we spend or we religion or we work or we family to try to get like this feeling on the throne of our heart, it feels like cotton candy. Do you like, how many of you like cotton candy? I love cotton candy before I eat cotton candy. After I eat cotton candy, I'm like, why did I eat cotton candy? The longer we live here, the more I feel that way about Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts, I'll wake up sometime. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Donuts with a difference is the only true donut spot. Lisa says it's Cane's also. Dunkin', when I eat a Dunkin' Donut, I'm like, oh, it looks so good right now. And then when I eat it, 10 minutes later, I'm like, why did I do that to myself? Why did I do that? It's like my stomach and my forehead feel like they're on fire. And... uh, that is what, like, that feeling of this is going to matter, but then it doesn't matter, and it leaves you unfulfilled and still hungry. That's what all of this stuff of putting someone other than Jesus on the throne of our heart, it's where it ends, it's where it ends for us. Because only Jesus is made to reign in our heart. Second, like Herod, at best, we have mixed motives, and that's being generous. We try to hide our mixed motives, We try to mask them. We try to justify how mixed our hearts are. Like, I try to convince myself, man, I'm a great dad. I'm a great, I'm patient. I try to, the biggest lie I tell myself is that I am patient. I'm not patient. I'm like the least patient person sitting in this room right now. I promise you that. I'm not. I try to convince myself I am, but I'm not. I want people, like, I want you to think, man, I love JD. That's a good guy. I'm not a good guy, and you're not a good person. Only the gospel can do that to us. In fact, so we try to justify it, rationalize it, compare it to others. Well, I may not be the best, but I'm better than Mark here. Did you guys see how he lost it down there in traffic? Like, I may not be as bad as so-and-so. Uh, but I'm better than that guy. By goodness, I saw how they talked about you uh, behind your back. Like uh, we do that. We compensate for it. We know our motives are mixed, and we know we're not angels. The best I ever heard it described is a guy named Donald Miller who wrote a book called Blue Light Jazz. It's one of the best uh, books you can ever read. It's fantastic, and he says that one year at Christmas, his mom had given him money, I think, to buy her a Christmas present. And he bought her something that, didn't cost, that wasn't worth anything, and it was thoughtless. And then he ended up spending the rest of the money on himself. And he says he sat there on Christmas Day and wondered if his family realized they were eating dinner, Christmas dinner with Adolf Hitler. That he, was, he realized how evil he truly was in his heart by not doing something better for his single mom. We know we're not angels if we're in denial about it. If you're in denial, if you think you're a good person, ask the people who know you best. Um, my wife, God love her, like she is the most patient, gracious person. There, the older I get, the more I realize, um, first of all, God, why do you love me, and why would she love me? Because I can be a jerk face, and she, more than anybody else, sees it the most clearly. I'm not good. And I can sort of puff myself up, compare myself, you can do this too, mask it, whatever. The people who know you the best know that inherently, like King Herod, we have mixed motives. If we're left to ourselves, left to ourselves, we are not good people. And the people who know us see it. And if we're not sure, we can ask them. Galatians 5, 16 through 21, you don't have to look it up, but it says this. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Left to ourselves, we operate naturally against God. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these two things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. I don't do the things I want to do. Every time I set out to go in the car, I intend not to lose my mind. It rarely happens. Every time that, um, when it comes to my finances, like honestly, I was raised in a home where my mom worked three jobs. I can struggle with like money insecurity. And I don't intend to do that. I intend to be generous and trusting of God. That's just not how it acts. I find myself, if I don't walk with Jesus, if I don't put Jesus on the throne of my heart, I find myself doing the things that I don't want to do. Verse 18 says, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. There's, You're just following God. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And he says, I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things won't inherit the kingdom of God. Because there's one throne and two kings trying to vie for it. There's a steward king of me and the real king of Jesus, just like Herod. And so I can't judge Herod. Oh, can I tell you the one time that I almost punched a church member's lights out? You want to hear that story real fast? There were two Herods in the room at this moment. It's me, and I'm sitting in a chair, and the door is where Carson is, and, uh, and this guy and his wife. And they get here. They very intentionally get between me and the door. And we're having an argument because he had some real obvious sin in his life um, and need to be dealt with. But he confronted me about it in denial. And we're talking and reasoning like this. And I think everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, we get to the root of the King Herod of his life. And in that moment, you can see his blood pressure go up. You can, he stands up over me. Shoulders back, bows up. That was his King Herod moment. Furious, he's trying to kill the baby Jesus uh, in this situation of God's goodness. Well, I'm thinking, I can't get to this door, and now this man is over me. And it's all I can do not to come up and just jack him in the jaw and walk right out of the room. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> it's probably... That's probably God's perfect timing right there. That's so good. His sin got exposed. So, in that moment, his King Herod's sin gets exposed. And at the same time, my King Herod's sin gets exposed because I'm ready to knock this guy's head off of his neck. Now, the thing de escalates. The guy calms down. He later apologizes. But can I tell you what? It wasn't the last time that we saw that. Every time that that throne in his heart was about money, got exposed, and we said, hey, it looks like there's a King Herod sitting on this throne. Jesus has to sit on this throne. He's the true king. He'd be ready to fight. Every time. Finally, they left because we said, they left our church because we said, dude, The Bible is clear about this. You are living in sin. You're wrong. You're justifying something that is sinful, and this is an idol in your heart, and it has to die. He didn't like it, and he went to a bigger church where he could hide, and no one would ever confront him about a King Herod in his life because it was easier to try to act like a Christian with a King Herod sitting on the throne of his heart And it was to dethrone that Herod and let Jesus sit on the throne of his heart. And I'll be honest, I cannot judge him. There is no judgment because i got a dozen King Herods running around in my heart trying to vie for the throne of my loyalty. uh, Well, we'll go from there. So let me ask you, what causes you to lash out? Who or what or where or when exposes your inner King Herod who wants to kill baby Jesus? We all have one. We all have one. We all have these little Herods that want to kill baby Jesus in our heart. And uh, maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a place. Maybe it's a person. Uh, maybe it's a relationship, a former relationship. Uh, maybe it's a time of day where you go Incredible Hulk in your heart. Do you remember Incredible Hulk? Like back in the day, he's a nice, mild-mannered doctor. But if you got him, if you got him cornered or angry or feeling violated... He lost it. And there's something of that in our hearts whenever that throne um, gets threatened. And so the third thing, like Herod, however, we can't stop God's plan. And like Herod, everybody's going to die. And that's the crazy part of his story. Like Herod, God uses our brokenness and rebellion. God still accomplishes his plan. Without Herod, Jesus doesn't end up in Egypt as a refugee. And that's one of the signs, the dozens of signs, that show that Jesus was, in fact, the son of God. Because the Bible said that this Messiah, the Savior, would end up being raised in Egypt. And he does. God uses that brokenness and rebellion. But unlike Herod, that doesn't mean that we don't need to repent of it right now. Herod by all accounts, goes to the grave, having never repented, thinking that he was the king, when in fact he wasn't. Like Herod, we all die one day. Unlike Herod, it is never too late. It's not too late right now for people to repent, to be changed. You and I have two options. We can be born once and die twice, or we can be born twice and die once. To be uh, born once and die twice means that we have one birth date, our physical birth date, and reject or delay Jesus. And if we die physically and step into eternity, we die physically and then we die eternally separated from God. We can be born once and die twice, or we can be born twice, have a physical birth date, and the day where John 3 says we're born again, we become part of God's family. Not that we become religious, but that Jesus literally sets up His kingdom in our life and heart. And then, when that happens, we when we die physically, we don't die eternally. I've had the um, I've watched two people die in my life. First time I was 24, and a pastor told me that I worked for. Her, he said, "Come on, you're going to go to the hospital. We're going to go watch a woman die today." They've removed life support. She did not know Jesus. And I watched her put up a fight as she was stepping out into eternity. I watched my father in law die as well. He did know Jesus, and he died so peacefully and so calmly. And I think that was why. I think that was what was going on. You die, you're born once and you die twice, or you're, or you're born twice and you die once. It's just how it works. We have little Herods in our hearts who want to kill Jesus. Anywhere we see lust for power, hunger for control, an effort to kill the life of Jesus, and lashing out when threatened, we see a little steward king, Herod. We can't, all right, if you're going to write anything down today, this is worth writing down. I didn't make it a slide, so I'm going to repeat it. And I'll post it on Instagram later. This week, Carson was like, you need to start making slides uh, and saying the one thing that people need to write down. And that was good advice. I just didn't get it done today. You cannot negotiate the terms of total surrender. We cannot negotiate the terms of a total surrender. See, when King Herod has to be dethroned from my heart, he cannot go to Jesus and say, okay, now this is how this transfer of power is going to happen. If Jesus is the king, Herod has to die. And he cannot negotiate the terms of his exit from the throne of your heart and my heart. We cannot negotiate the terms of total surrender and transfer of power. Herod must abdicate. Jesus is the rightful king. So Advent, this Christmas season, is a time of looking back, remembering the birth of Jesus, fully human, fully God, as prophesied in the Old Testament, shared in the New Testament, articulated in the Chalcedonian Creed of A.D. 451, and in other creeds and statements of faith in church history. Advent is also a time of looking forward, remembering that the Bible tells us Jesus is coming again. The first time he came, he came as a baby, humble, helpless, and in need, undeserved, but dying a criminal's death, rising from the dead, then ascending to heaven. The next time he comes, he comes as an already reigning king. He comes in power, victorious, uh, ready to judge the living and the dead examining those who have pledged everything to him and judging those who've held out so if you're here and you're not a christian or you're not sure like me you have a herod problem the only difference between you and i non-christian today is that when i was nine i gave jesus permission to rule the throne of my heart he became the king um and you have not yet made that decision or you're not sure about it. So I have three questions and two statements for the people here who would say, I'm not a Christian. Here they are. One, is this baby God with skin on, as, Christian, as scripture says? Is that right there, is that baby God? If you're a non-Christian, that's my first question. My second question is, did that baby grow up and die on a cross and rise again? And then here's a statement. If those things are true, and they deserve like thoughtful intellectual examination, if those things are true, he promised, that baby grew up to promise that he would come again to rule and reign and we will be judged eternally as part of his family or not. He says that he will forgive our Herod problem. So here is the question, the ultimate question for a non-Christian. Do you have a better plan for how you're going to stand before God than his plan, which is, you let me into your heart to control your life, and I will give you peace when you stand before God one day. And if the answer to that is no, you don't have a better plan, may I encourage you to repent, to turn from your sin, um, to turn from your Herods, and turn to Jesus in faith and repentance and total surrender. Christian, if you identify today as a Christian, as a Christ follower, sadly, you, like me, have two kings. Jesus, the real king, and a steward king who are both vying for the same throne in your heart. Ultimately, you have declared by being a Christian that Jesus is the king. He rules on the throne. But yet that steward king who has been forced to get off the throne, like me in traffic, going to the Burlington Mall at Christmas, that steward kings; those kings are always trying to come back and sit on the throne Again, and uh, the Bible calls this the old man versus the new man or the first Adam versus the second Adam, the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. Jesus reigns as king, but Herod contends. Herod contends. This week, uh, a Herod of insecurity. I got an email this week. Has ever happened? You get an email and you can just see the first two lines and the first two lines of that email made me super uncomfortable. Like, I didn't even open the email for two days. Because I didn't want to deal with it. I was just hoping it would go away. It didn't go away. I had to answer it. This Herod of insecurity and, oh, man, what is this person going to think of me when I answer this honestly, began to rule up. And two days later, I was like, no, I have to trust God. Jesus is on the throne. God accepts me. I can deal with this situation right now. Herod of insecurity. You have to go. You have to abdicate. Where is the life of Jesus in you most threatened or even put to death? If we're letting sin win over and over and over, we're not fighting. We are, we are literally massacring baby Jesus. Like Herod. If we're saying, Jesus this, or God, this is my thing. I'm going to sit on the throne right here in this area of my money or my sexuality or my relationship to my parents. God, they make me crazy. Or in traffic or my diet or my career. I'm going to rule this. You can have the rest. I'm going to rule this. What we're saying is, okay, baby Jesus, you got to die. I'm going to be the king like Herod. And that is not okay. Herod died. Jesus died. Jesus has to put him to death in your heart and reign in victory. When Herod tries to sneak in, remind him that Jesus is on the throne and give him no authority whatsoever. Put Herod to death and become the person that God made you to be. And live as a free citizen of the kingdom of King Jesus, knowing that King Jesus came, but also that he's coming again to establish his kingdom and assert his rightful place as king of the universe. Can I tell you about the best Christmas ever real quick? Give me three minutes. Such a good story. 2013, Noah is uh, four. He loves trains. It's the neatest thing in the world to him. Owen is uh, one, almost, uh, I guess he's one, almost uh, two. And my dad, who had been an awful man all of his life, alcoholic, adulterer, abuser, uh, he left us. uh, Somehow that fall knew that he was going to die. I don't know how he knew, but he knew he was going to die. My dad had always been really stingy, and Christmas was always just kind of sad when we would go to my dad and stepmom's house, and because um, it just reminded me of all the Christmases I'd have to go to a house I didn't want to be at on Christmas. It was just awkward. But on that Christmas, it was different. I remember at Thanksgiving, my dad emailed me, and he, um, he just said, I've not been a good person <laughs> I never will forget that. I've not been a good person, but I think I'm figuring things out. And my brother called me like a week after Thanksgiving. He goes, I think dad became a Christian. I was like, I don't, I don't know, man. That's crazy. And uh, I mean, my dad was just not good. But we could see God drawing my dad in, changing his heart. And that year at Christmas, we go, my dad, it was always like opening presents was awkward because I always felt like he wanted to spend the least amount that he could. And on that Christmas, he literally driven all over the state of Georgia to find a train, this wooden train whistle and a little conductor's hat for both boys and these little like train engineer coveralls and all this stuff. And my mom, that year earlier had given me my dad's Bible that she gave him when they were dating. And my dad basically lived as an atheist all his life. And she just said, I don't want this Bible. I gave your dad in 1967. Do you want it? And I just kind of set it on my shelf. I could see God reeling my dad in. That year for Christmas, I handed in that Bible. And I said, Dad, I want you to know that I exist and my brother exists Because at some point in your life, God was doing something. And because that was happening, you married Beverly Sanders, whose dad was the chairman of the deacons at Mabel White Memorial Baptist Church. And you guys married. And after seven or eight years of marriage, you had a little boy. And then four years later, you guys had another boy. And the story got really sad from there. But God did some good things. And I want to give you this Bible as just a reminder that God is never done with us. Man, my dad teared up. It was just sweet. I'll never, ever, as long as I live, forget that Christmas. Two weeks later, my dad emails me at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. He says, i got a ton of issues in my life, but I think I've given my life to Jesus, and I'm sure that's the main one. Three hours later, my dad died of a massive heart attack. He had no way of knowing this was going to happen, but God was reeling him in, knowing that his days were coming up. It was so sweet that Christmas to see Every Herod, my dad drank a minimum of 13 beers a day, every single day. In September, he just quit. He's like, I'm done. Done. My stepmom calls me in October that year and says, is your dad dying? Has he told you he's dying of cancer or something? I was like, no. Why? She goes, because he's nice again. And he's the man that I married. And it's weird. And it's freaking me out. She literally told me it's freaking her out. Christmas was so sweet and peaceful, I will never forget it. As long as I live, it'll be the best. I cannot imagine there being a better Christmas than the Christmas of 2013. Here's what I take away from that. One, all the Herods have to go from our hearts and our lives. We can glam them up, but they got to go. Two, if you want to have the best Christmas ever, like the only way you get that is for something so abnormal to happen where you dethrone some part of what's going on in your life, that it becomes memorable. Like, we can't just out-gift or out-experience or out-whatever the year before and think that that's going to be so memorable. I think when God interrupts our story and Herod's get dethroned, that is when we have the best Christmas ever. It has nothing to do with the gifts you I don't remember any gifts that I've really ever been given other than just a couple. I remember 2013... I can tell you everything that happened on that day with my father. Every single thing. Because Herod died and Jesus reigned. And one day, I'm going to stand with my dad in eternity and we're going to sing praise to King Jesus. King Jesus. Because my dad understood that you cannot negotiate the terms of a total surrender. Let me pray.